This is the Weird is the New Black Show. This is episode 58 of the Weirdest New Black Show. And all I know is that. And my window. I, I, can't, I can't stand, stand the rain. rain. I can't smile window. I can't stand the rain. Pick it, pick it. Here we go. Pick it, pick it. Here we go. That was a great historical introduction. It's a hell of a collab, man. It was a hell of a collab. It was something new, something hot, something fresh, something hip. For the streets to get into. You got to come by my spot after this. We'll have to record that. Because I feel like they're doing like at least a quarter million on YouTube. Yo, come on now. Absolutely. Come on now. Lil- the Elliott cover in 2019. What? Lil Nas X. What? What? Coming on, you cuz. Pause. <laughs> All, right. All right. What up, man? So, we go. Oh, man. That was hilarious. He paused himself. I had to immediately because I know how some of my friends are. They can't wait to be like, what'd you say? I'm like, all right, man. God just damn on the ready, right? Just, just waiting to hear just something. Just ready. Woo, even funny. remotely suspect. They don't even have to be gay. Just like, if it was questionable in any way, pause. Pause. I'm like, oh, my, like, here we go again, sir. I'm like, damn, fam. I'm, I'm secure with my situation, brother. Yeah, you go too hard. Yeah, bro. See, now, I'm here with Mike Stewart or Mike Stew. Without, um, without, without. So let me tell you how I found out about you. Please. So me, you know, I love music, you know, I love hip hop and with that I get into battle rap. I love battle rap. Been watching battle rap since like forever. So back in the days, one of my favorite battle rap MCs actually lost to you in Philly during the Red Bull what was it? Three Red Bull M C Yep, Red Bull M C joint on stage and his name is DNA. I knew that's what you were going to say. That's funny. So, so when it happened, it was like, yeah, DNA went down somewhere. He lost to this cat. I'm like, to who? It was like this cat named Mike Stewart from, from Philly. I said, what? I'm like, what the fuck is this dude, yo? So I saw a clip of it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Your son is nice. Son is definitely Word. fucking nice. Word, right. Word. So gave respect off that. And we had mutual people in the city that we both know. And I think the first time I actually saw you perform live, it was in the late summer of 2013. Now, Tell me it was the Philly Weekly Joan in the Park. Yes, it was. Yeah, that was the best gig of my life. Yes, On my life, was. that was the best gig I ever played. Dude, people who were there. Uh, you had um, Drew the Damager was there. Jay Rue was there. Jay I Rue played with uh, Doodlebug. Yes, on stage. I Come on, that. man. Like bucket list shit. Uh, I fucking you, played bro. on stage with them dudes. That, that was, was bucket list crazy. shit. That was the, I think, because I just, I was living in New Orleans at the time, right? And that was like the concert that I came back in town for. Because I was down there because, you know, uh, the homie Sonny James, uh, before he dipped out, moved to LA, he was just spinning. Fish for spinning for those uh, who don't know. Matthew that's your Lowe. guy? Uh, Sonny's your man? Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the homie. Yep. Dude, Sonny's that boy. Yeah, Sonny. I love Sonny. That's the homie. And Matt. Like, Matt's my buddy through yeah. mutual friends. Like, me and Matt became real good friends over the years. Right. And that's how, like, part of me, like, the whole mutual squad. I'm like, cool. I said, so you rocking with Matt? I said, that's a good dude. Boom. We're in we, good we're company. Funky. Funky we're in good hell. company, right. Shout hell out to yeah. Ill Vibe for that, right? Yes. So that whole, listen, you had to be there. Okay, you had to be there for that concert, man. It was amazing. I loved it. And that was 2013. And, you know, I saw your name here and there. And, like, I was like, yo, he's a cool dude. Sunken rap. You can't mistake that. And I remember back in the day, you could have given Kenny G a run for his money, bro. Because the hair family, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had the trusses, baby. <laughs> you had the shits. You know what I mean? The pony tells like, oh, look at this motherfucker. Hey, man. That's hilarious. Got here. Shit, can you like, oh man, I gotta get my shit right. I love it, man. man. Yo, somebody tried to put, um, uh, my roommate's brother onto my music, uh, like two weeks ago, right? Just Mm -hmm. playing on the phone, like, man, like, he's good. He's like, rap, fam. And I, like, had too much to drink. So I wasn't, no, I'm not gonna, like, well, you want me to freestyle for you right now Mm -hmm. at 1030 on a Friday. Like, I'm about to go to bed. I got work tomorrow Mm -hmm. and we're at a big party. 
and you just want to have an in, like a little like let me like audition for you right now. That's what you want? No, brother. What do you do? What do you do for a living? You're a painter. Okay, paint that house right now. Like it's ten thirty on a Friday. So I wasn't trying to be bougie about it, but I was like, no, I'm not rapping for you. Mm. I was like, and somebody goes, look him up, look him up. He starts Googling me. All he had to say every video was something about my hair because I got a buzz cut with a hat on in this, in this video. Next video, the hair is down. Next video, I got a man bun. Next video, the hair is even longer than it was before. Next video, it's half grown out. Like all Bull could talk about was my hair. I'm like, yo, you just asked me about music and now you're giving me like hair reviews. He's like, what's up with this look? It was hilarious, man. But I feel like the hair became its own thing. Just like, I do whatever I want. I I don't like to think about it. So I cut it and grow it and cut it and grow it. But to other people, that's an important way of like what they present about themselves. It's a look just like your shoes, just like your shirt. For me, my hair is literally out of sight, out of mind. That's why I grow it. Like I don't have to go see my barber every week or every month. Just let it go. Hey, man. That's the, that's the phrase, yo. But that joint became a thing of its own. Like, the hair took on a life of its own for sure, man. <laughs> I saw that video. I said, this motherfucker here. I said, Kenny G with the shits. I'm feeling it. You know what I mean? But, I, I, of course, you know, just uh, that's like just joking on that side. Because, brother, you can't deny your talent. So I have questions. I want to get into what the background and all that. But I need to make sure of this. I don't know if my eyes were uh, deceiving me. Okay. Um, and your video for All Black Chuckers. Mm-hmm. All, all Black Chucks. All Black Chucks. Yeah. Was that the homie Sophic in your video? That was Sophic. Shout out Yo. to Eric. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. I How seen do you know Eric? All right. So check this out. So I haven't seen Eric in, in a dumb long time. So let's rewind back to like 2009, 10, 11-ish. He, cause Eric is a, is an amazing like studio engineer. He knows what he's doing. He gets in there. He's all Absolutely. business. Absolutely. So he used to be the, um, studio engineer for another Philly MC with the name of Asai. Um, I was present for the making of that record. I never met Asai, but mm-hmm. I was friends with Eric, working with Eric while he was working on the record. Mm-hmm. So I heard it through each phase. Oh, and that record was awesome, dog. Like that thing at the time, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, is this, how is this possible? It's it was the like Flowers some, Joint, right? Yes, yes, fully executed art rap shit. Like everything about that album was thoughtful and brilliant. And Eric was playing me tracks off that. I'm like, yo, that is so this crazy, is fucking bro. dope. Yeah. That is so wow. crazy. That's awesome. Because I see him in the video. Because I remember like he would, every time I seen him, man, he had his longboard with him, bro. Yeah. We could keep escape to the studio because at the time we would be at Noise Trip. Now it was inside the Root Studio. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he would be up there like busting it up because he was still a student at Temple at the time. He went to Temple too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was. He was yeah, that's that. where I met him. Word. So he would, he would go from there, come to the studio, do his thing, and do whatever he had to do. But yeah, man, I saw him in the vid. I said, "Is that Sophic?" Right. I said, "What the fuck?" He's that bull, man. Like he's so dope. Yeah, He's man. the most unassuming, like humble, soft-spoken, polite dude. And then you get a chance to talk to him for a second and you find out he's just cool as shit. Facts. And he's had his hand on so many cool projects mm-hmm. and he would never like carry himself that way or tell you that. Like, you know, people name drop and people like, oh, I'm associated with yada yada. Right. No idea. You know what I mean? He's the most unassuming like rock star in the, in the sound world. And he's a total music nerd. Like, total sound junkie. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to know all the physics behind all the plugins, all the physics behind the spaces you're in when you record. And he just goes all the way down that rabbit hole. And, you know, I, I think he does a great job of bridging that side of him mm-hmm. with what each artist's trying to sound like. Because you run into problems with engineers that are like, you know, they're trying to get the best quality sound all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, technically and physically but that's not what artists are like an artist might be uh you know into uh like a broken down distorted sound or a nostalgic sound or a noise a noisy sound or a bright loud sound so when you're working with artists you need to have respect for their sensibilities you can't just release the most perfectly technically sound recordings because how your shit sounds is a part of your art. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, it might not be easy to, it might not be easy to really know what I'm saying if you're not an artist. But I'll give you a perfect example. It's why 
indie bands demos sound like indie bands demos because they go to an engineer and they run them through the standard process and everything sounds wonderful, but it lacks character. You know what I mean? Because they're just doing their best to do the best recording by the book. Eric is really good at what do you want to sound like? Who do you want to sound like? Um, what are your influences? You know, because the way that 40 samples a sample is much different than the way that Primo samples a sample or Static Selector would sample a sample. Or So their samples all sound different. Remember um, Heat Makers back in the early 2000s? They would, yo, they would put all their shit through the chipmunk filter. They would jack up the pitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all that yep. dipshit. That's how they sounded. Right. 40 sounds different. He sounds understated. Like, uh, who's the fucking bull? Um, oh, just blaze. He's in your face. Everything like smacks and it's loud. So Eric cares about that. Like, how do you want your music to sound? He's not just running you through his process. You know what I mean? He'll tailor the process to you based on how you want to sound, which is awesome, bro. Like growing with him in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, he's touched everything I ever put out. He's touched everything I've ever put out. The record Dreamers is the first record that he didn't touch before it went out. Um, he didn't work on Peace World as much, but he has two or three beats on Peace World, which is my first album. And everything I ever put out, he touched. He's like my, I trust you. Like, yo, make sure this is good before it comes out. He's kind of like your, uh, what can I say? Your Obi when it comes to sound. Obi Wan in a way. A little bit. He's my invisible hand. You know, he's not the producer. He's not the DJ. Mm-hmm. But he's certainly my invisible hand, for sure. My QC guy. Uh, I send my mixes to him for reference. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got all these production chops that, like, if he has an idea, he can work on your music, too. It's not just it's not just engineering. Right. You know, he has a creative, uh, you know, propensity or capacity. See, now, when we were discussing that, you mentioned the word artistry, right? Mm-hmm. And the ill thing about you being an artist is that there's layers and there's tons of things that contribute to you and what you make and how you make it. I want to take this trip down memory lane. I just want to ask not only where you're from, right? But were you born in the 80s or the 90s? Uh, 80s, baby. 80s, baby. Salute. I was one, I'm one of the last of the Mohicans, 89. Yes. <laughs> I just you're snuck on the in. cusp. Yes. <laughs> nice, nice. So, okay, cool. Now, you're 89, 80s, baby. All right, so I understand your sensibilities a bit, right? Mm-hmm. No, where, where are you from? I'm from Montgomery County. Okay. Um, maybe like 30, 40 minutes west of Philly. Like, uh, it's called Royer's Ford, but people don't know Royer's Ford. We call it Rofo. Uh, like 10 minutes from King of Prussia. Okay. Yeah. I know, yeah. I know that section though. I've never been there. I heard it before. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you see, where I grew up. like a little weather map. It's like Royer's Ford. It's like, all right, that's a place. Right. And been there yet. It's somewhere it's- between Reading and Pottstown, right? Or between, or somewhere between Pottstown and, uh, King of Prussia. It's, a, it's out there. <laughs> It honest. exists. Yes, it right, exists. Right. It's, a, it's a real place, folks. <laughs> you can check it out on Google Maps. Hey, Rofo, baby. Rofo. I'm sure it even has a Wikipedia article. Because like, there's some oh, places yeah. I think are Wikipedia articles. You never even think we have one, bro. There's a couple thousand of us, man. A couple thousand of us. <laughs> strong, yo. A couple you know thousand I mean? strong, baby. Shout out to Tom's Bar and Integrity Tattoo. Look at that. We got a whole ecosystem out there. Look at that, man. See? It's real out there in the field, man. So, boom, so as far as you being, like, an artist and coming up, right, I'm sure people ask you all the time, like, what were your inspirations? Mm-hmm. But growing up, growing up where you grew up, outside of hip-hop, what music did you listen to? Mm-hmm. I will say, man, uh, hip-hop was the first music that I had a strong emotional attachment to. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of, like, this is me, this is my shit. But um, mm-hmm. my parents, man, I would say... I can't tell you the names of the artists, but they're both very musical. And um I grew up in a single parent home with my mom and spent time with my pops, so they listened to different shit. Mm-hmm. And my mom is totally like single mom, soft rock, anthem mom, like Matchbox Twenty, U two, uh Hootie and the Blowfish. Shout out to Hootie, bro. Yo, Darius Rucker is my bull. Um so it's super like uh Friends era, nineties, alternative pop rock. What uh, Alanis, uh, uh, not even Alanis Morissette. That wasn't my. Oh, Melissa Etheridge was my mom's shit. Word. And uh, 
I think that's the girl power thing because she was a lesbian before it was cool, mm-hmm. and she was a bad bitch. So I think it gave my mom some girl power listening to Melissa Etheridge. Um, and then my dad was the same way, man. It was like it was straight up like Friends soundtrack ass, um, sounding ass. Uh, he liked women singers. We listened to a lot of Atlanta Mor- Atlantis Morissette. Mm-hmm. We listened to a lot of um, who is it? Oh, three non-blondes. That shit might be a deep cut for his people. But three non-blondes was like... Uh, So yeah, that was pop. But he put me on to like Bon Jovi and some classic rock. Some like pre-80s classic rock. But they were really kind of like contemporary pop rock. Uh, But the, the thing about them is they're not musicians. But both of them sing and both of them dance. So we grew up singing and dancing. And with my dad, he's a funny boy. Like, he's just the funniest dude. He's always on. Um, so he would freestyle. He would sing the melodies of the songs we were listening to, mm-hmm. but sing his own lyrics about whatever was going on. So if we we're in the car eating food, he would sing about your hoagie in the exact rhythm and melody of the tune. Um, Whatever, like if there's something out the window, he'd point at it. And essentially, he was freestyling. You know, before I fell in love with rap, I'm talking like Mike Stu circa age four to age 12. Mm-hmm. My dad was doing this improv singing. So we picked it up. We would do it like just for fun. We'd make up our own words to the melodies we were listening to. Uh, but it was definitely basic, like pop radio stuff. Neither of them are like record junkies or record heads where they're digging. You know what I mean? Um but yeah, I, I, those sort of like approachable um, melodies, mm-hmm. singable melodies, and like arena rock, uh, you know, arena rock sounds, mm-hmm. that's definitely what I grew up jamming to. Right. It's funny, like, you know, it's kind of, I feel detached from those early years to the first time I heard Dr. Dre rap on No Diggity, and I was like, what the fuck is this? This is my shit. You know what I mean? I was like 10 or 11 years old. I'm like, yo, this is for me, whatever the fuck I'm hearing right now. So. Get down, good. Yeah. Even that, yo, even the shit I do right now, like with my writing and production, that like guttural chest ad lib that they use as like a rhythm. Yeah. I, I still do that shit now. It's funny. I never even put those two things together. Cause that's the thing about you that I, I picked up on, like, there's, there's something to it like there's a flavor to it you know and i I can tell that it's like your own personal interpretation of your emotions and your thoughts you know you use different ways to express it so again boom so i I wanted to lay lay the uh the background work of your household right Mm -hmm. music soundscape there and you got into hip-hop and once you heard like drake get on no digging yeah so genuine pony classic uh, and then like in my probably pre-teen years fucking wangsta changed my fucking life yeah 50 cent wangsta changed my life <laughs> like yeah this bro. shit can like you the shit can sound like this yeah you know yes so, yeah oh, that was my coming of age shit dude i was like a freshman in college when that shit dropped and i was like what? Yeah. What is this? Wow. Can we get more of this? Like place? Fifty took all the best parts of what pop rap was trying to do. Yep. Got rid of everything that wasn't working and just like boiled it down for us. Like, yo, this is what everybody's been working on for ten years. Boom. You know what I mean? Like, dude. And that was such 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 an amazing time, an amazing era. Because like what Fifty did when he came into the game, dude, it was like cool. Because he had took care of like the mixtapes. Right. Right. He did his uh, leg work. Leg work and mixtapes. They came to the game and it was like, yo, what we going to do? And it was a take over. Absolutely. A take over on every, in every angle in terms of a sound, in terms of the type of production that was being done, the rappers being on the radio. It was like, it was just an interesting time. Yeah. So again, for, for you being in the age that you were, what was it that got you to say, yo, not only do I like what I'm, what I'm hearing, but now I want to try to shit out myself. I'll leave it up to a couple of Philly Bulls, man. Um. <laughs> I really like on some historic shit, demographic changes, gentrification. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Philadelphians. Yeah, I live, Royersport is a tiny little podunk suburb. Mm-hmm. Uh, whitewashed as fuck. 
um, super white, very blue collar too. It's not like money white. It's like working class. Right. Um, but as Philly really started to turn around, a lot of people were losing their houses and moving out to the burbs. So we had like these three, three kids or two brothers, Ed and Anthony. And, um, they were from Philly and they came to our high school and my brother, my older brother befriended them. And what do you do when you're in Philadelphia and you're bored? You fucking rap. Like everybody here raps. Mm -hmm. So they brought rapping as a hobby out there. You know what I mean? They weren't trying to be on or be the man, mm -hmm. but they rapped all the time. That is what Philadelphians do. Even if you're not a rapper, you rap because everybody raps. So you just, you the freestyle or write something for fun. So these two guys came out barring shit up. They put me on to like the Hova um when Rockefeller just came out and they had that fucking like radio hour on Power 99 and it was like monumental. Mm -hmm. They had that joint on a tape. They tape recorded it on an actual tape. We listened to Rockefeller tapes yeah. and then they put us on to all the Philly battle shit like, like Reed and Jihad and um, that whole wave. Uh, shout out to my guy, uh, uh, Shelliano. Mm -hmm. I was a huge Shelliano fan 10 years before I met him. Oh, shit. You know what I mean? Like, he was yeah. just this fucking, he had a uh, bucket hat on, all camo, and he was in New York grinding people up. Mm -hmm. Like, 10 years later, after I started getting busy in Philly, I meet Shelliano. He's a phone call away. He's my buddy. Oh, but Ed and Anthony were putting us on to this battle scene, and all they did was rap when we were chilling. That was their whole shit. So, I'm 12. These are my big brother's older friends. Mm -hmm. And I hear what they're doing. I'm like, I can do that. I just know I can do that. So I just started rapping with them. I, I literally wrote a rap in my head, like eight or 12 bars, mm -hmm. something like that, just to show them. Like, I walked around all day. I walked around the neighborhood rehearsing these these bars. Mm -hmm. Never wrote them down or anything. I spit it for them. And the validation that I got from my brother and his two friends was like, you know, that's all you need. When you're 12 and the big kids think you're cool, but the world see you tomorrow, bro. See you tomorrow. Like, that's me now. This is who I am. Right. So that was it. A couple Philly guys came out, and that's just what they did. Ew, man. If it, you know, if they never met, if they never moved out there, that shit might have missed me. I might have been somebody else, did something else. Dude, so because I remember I saw this clip of you like freestyling on Temple campus. I think you was like outside. I don't know if you were behind a, a if it was a flagpole <laughs> behind you, or whatever. Is that a uh, bell tower right in the center of campus? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I'm I'm seeing you go off. I'm like, okay, cool. This kid, this kid is bombing. You know what I mean? <laughs> even when I saw you on the, uh, the Red Bull joint or whatever it is, even like on stage at the, uh, the Philadelphia Weekly concert, like this kid can rap, you know? Cause like there's rapping and then there's rapping. rapping. Right. Like, you oh, you rap, rap rap. You rap rap, bro. Yeah. And cause I think one of the songs that like that told me that about you off the rip. With a joint called Kill Whitey. Uh, I did that on purpose. That was the point of that joint. The Dude. point of that record was like, yo, oh, he raps. Because I went to other joints and you and you rapped. It wasn't like, okay, this is like, he's just rap, rap. Now, you saw I heard it from you. It was like, you were rapping. You right. know, you're doing your thing. But then I heard that shit. And I said, yo. No, he raps. This motherfucker is wild, yo. And I was feeling it. So we got you doing all this stuff with like, you know, coming you know, to your podunk suburban town. Mm -hmm. Philly Cat's coming out, you know, giving you, like, pretty much bringing this thing, this new energy to you. Yeah. And you absorb it, and you make it, make it into your own. So, from 12 on, like, what was it about writing? Like, what was your favorite part of the process? I think there was a, there was a little gap there. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, 12, I started rapping for fun. But I didn't know that you could make songs. Like, you can just make them. Like, if you're a kid at home right now listening to me, you, the music that you hear that you like, you can make it. Like, I didn't, it's hard to put that together. That's why so many people have these passions and these urges and they never actualize because they don't realize, like, no, that's just a human being doing that shit. So I didn't realize you could make songs until my friend Dustin, Dustin Poole, shout out D Poole Raps, a few years later, maybe probably the next year, he knew I rapped. He came over with bars and a hook. On some beat that he jacked off, like Napster or jacked off pause. <laughs> pause. In my head, I was like, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah I'm going to let that one go. I'm let not going to pause him. He's on to something. Yeah, let the young man live. Fuck. No, you know uh, shit. Nah, but he had some beat that he ripped off of uh, LimeWire or, or Napster, whatever was happening. And he had two verses written and a chorus. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you can make songs. Like, you don't just have to freestyle and battle. You can sit down and think and write and make a song. So Dustin really 
like inspired me to try to make a song so he and i started writing that was like eighth grade um we started writing all the time all we would do is hang out in the kitchen and rap um so i forget where this whole thing started but that was the that was the space it started out battling philly style freestyling for fun trying to impress the big kids and then one of my friends who's my age who i identify with showed me now nah, like we can make songs um and yeah that that became a different process uh like i said you can think about how do i feel right now what do i want to say like who am i um if i were all right what what song do i wish jay-z would release what song do i wish little wayne would release i can make what they make i am them so i can make my favorite shit ever it's, I'm the one making it. So that process of getting in touch with yourself and trying to really flush out a record or a, or like a thought that you can actually follow, that was a totally different journey. I started with the rhythm and the improv and the, you know what I mean? Right. And then it turned into like making art. So now I'm making art. I'm not just doing the processes. I'm making a piece. Um, and that shit all starts out with, uh, what's the word? Imitation. I would bite flows. I'd bite everybody's flows. I always had my own flow because I started out freestyle. But like you just start by biting. You listen to some shit you like and then you make your own shit just like it. Um, and then over time, you get so comfortable with the writing process, the thought process, that you start to become you over time. But in the beginning, you're an amalgamation of everything you're copying. And that's every artist, every painter. What do you do? You learn to, you learn to draw squares and circles. And then you learn to draw complex shapes using those squares and circles you're so good at now, right? So that's that's really what happened was I made this transition from this natural shared sort of rap element that we did together to this reclusive, singular, personal journey of songwriting. So I did that um, for about four or five years before I did my first recording. So before we get into like your first recording and how that's involved, I feel like you are an all-around writer in terms of yeah, you can you can rap and make songs, but I also feel like you have you are a poet at heart. Remember you did you did the poem for um I saw a clip of you the temple the, thing temple thing a couple yeah. of years ago when you it was like for the protest for student loans for sure. And you were on stage doing that. So like there's, so when you write a poem versus writing a rap, I'm sure there's different styles from different ways of approaching it. Yeah. Right. I know there were some people who were like, listen, I'm, I was a poet, man. I just said, yo, fucking put the beat on. I just put my poetry to the raps and I made, I made it happen. Yeah. But I know it's, uh, in certain ways, like you can't, uh, you can't like, there's different formulas for different things. You know, do you find yourself having to be more versatile when it comes down to different things that you're doing, whether you're doing writing, writing songs or if you have to do poetry, like, you have to put on different hats. Or is it all part of the same thing? Uh, it's all the same. Um, I mean, there was a little bit of like naivety and like self-grandeur involved in that thing that I wrote for the uh, protest that we had. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, this is a, a moment in history that matters. You know, I was like probably 20, maybe I wasn't even, I was probably like 18 or 19. So I just tried to use language and metaphors that made that message so clear. Mm -hmm. um, but it was an awkward thing for me. I spent the whole night writing and rewriting and rehearsing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but so that, I mean, I think in that medium, if I were to do something poetic or a po piece of poetry, you really like, for one, un under my own, like under my own, what's the word, devices, like to, under my own, if it's my decision to do some shit like that, mm -hmm. I usually, I probably feel so either compelled or inspired to say something i don't want music in the way right. you know like i don't do that shit for fun right. so if i feel compelled to like really say some shit it's literally i'm getting the music out of the way because there's something you need to hear for real so i don't do it often i may have like three or four pieces like that i've been a recording artist for like 10 years i might have three or four pieces like that but the process is definitely the same it just wells up and i've gotten real lazy with my uh with my music writing um i freestyle i'm, I'm little wayne now i literally <laughs> I got a home studio, I click record, I bar shit up, I run it back, I patch up rough shit, and then I find a pattern I like, I riff that pattern, it's all musical. I don't sit there and think, like, what's the best thing to say anymore? Like, I just go off now. But when I say lazy, it's not lazy, but it's like emotionally lazy. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not digging deep for the most powerful version of myself. I'm just going off. Like, every time you hear me now, mm -hmm. I'm literally in my room having a fucking blast going off. So, uh, but if I were to write a, a piece of poetry, mm -hmm. it's certainly more intentional. It's going to be much more thoughtful. And it's usually because I'm incredibly inspired or, or there's a, something that needs, really needs to be said. Where with the rap shit, it's like my voice is an instrument now and my emotions are, um, just like anybody else's or human beings. Right. 
So if I just emote musically, I'm good. I don't need to sit here and think about Eminem said something in Rap God. I don't know which words to use. Like, fuck all that, bro. I rap my ass off and I emote. How am I feeling? What have I experienced lately? It's not a real conscious process. It's a fluid process at this point. I hit record. And I punch until I'm done. Now I'm tired. I'm done. But I feel like, though you say you're lazy with the music writing, is this like, I feel like you've... The process. The process. Yeah. But it's evolution in a way. For sure. You've done it so, so many times, it's like, boom. It's like, it's what Hove does. Hove goes in. I've been in, yeah. I got rid of the middleman, you know, like all the baking and writing and rewriting. I got rid of all that shit. Now it's just, go. That is, that is amazing. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate that. That's, that's dope. It always, uh, it always fascinated me when I heard, like, uh, Jay, he said, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't write. I'm like, the fuck? Or, like, it was a point in time when Biggie stopped writing. And I was like, what? Yeah. How is it that you, like, these people, like, they're not writing anything, but, like, they're just, like, you know, they're doing what they're doing. You know, it, it takes some serious skill, and it's, and it's really, really ill. Um, So this is one thing I, I definitely wanted to talk about. So you mentioned your first record. What was the name of your first record, <laughs> and how did it feel going into that? Like, yo, boom, the record, like, the for the career of a recording artist begins now. Um, there was a lot of magic surrounding it. Um, my buddy's uh, dad was a DJ, so he had all the equipment in the basement. Mm-hmm. And he uh, fashioned himself a producer, learned his dad's equipment. And he recorded everybody around the area. And there was so much magic, dog. We were in an unfinished basement, half storage. You know, half of it was a storage space. Half of it was like a hangout space and it was just a little like curtain in the corner. But for me, bro, it was just magical. Like I was actualizing this thing that was inside of me. I was 16 at the time and I started rapping around 12, age 12. So this shit's been inside of me for four years, probably. It was magic, man. I was rapping over like Kanye beats. I was Lil Wayne and I was just jacking everybody's beats. Right. And then just doing my shit over it. And I took it so seriously, and so did he. We were 16-year-old kids really trying to be the best in the world, like trying to make the best shit we could. So, yeah, it was a magical, magical time for sure. The peak game as in, as you develop as an artist, you know, you're going hard, you're releasing these, you know, these, these tapes, you, you know, you're working. And then I peeped that you also had like a turning point <clears throat> in your career uh, once you dropped the Peace World project. Yeah. And I remember, and, and again, if I'm mistaken, feel free to correct me. On one of the interviews you had, it was like with WCTV. Yeah. You said that you got to a point where you felt like you did so much from it that you wanted to, to change something. Hmm. Like, I remember you, you just you said that like you had given so much of yourself to a point to what you were doing that you wanted to change what was up. You want to change what you, what you put out. Could you elaborate on that for me? Um, That interview in particular... I don't know, but that happened at a time. 2014 was a huge, huge change for me. Uh, it was the end of the party, right? So college was over. Right. The Red Bull thing came and went. Mm-hmm. Peace World was over. Uh, everything was over. And I had this social capital and this new stature and this new renown among my peers. But I wasn't famous. I wasn't paid. And a lot of what we do, like I said, back to imitation, a lot of what you do when you're a young artist is you think you try to grab pieces of every you grab pieces of everything you ever liked and you imitate it and the sum of all that becomes you and then over over time you evolve so in 2014 i was starting to evolve and what i was growing out of was the backpacker shit Mm -hmm. i just you know i wanted to be you know like it wasn't i didn't want to be any of that shit but like i had to be wu-tang clan i had to be guru i had to be big l i had to be in order to be accepted by my elders and peers they were and i was able to do all that shit like that was the genre that i listened to and that was my natural inclination was to be one of those artists but um i was getting i was getting done imitating around 2014 i was done imitating i had mastered all the styles that i imitated and i peaked and now who are you the party's over the youth is gone you've mastered You've mastered all these styles you've been imitating for, you know, probably six years, something like that. Who am I? What am I? And what what of value do I have to contribute versus like I sound like, you know, he sounds like a classic 90s record and it's awesome. I miss the sound. What am I bringing to the table that's uniquely me, that's not even available on the menu right now? You know what I mean? So I wanted to serve a dish that didn't exist. You know what I mean? So that that turned into like, you know, uh, uh, I said that was 2014. That turned into a five-year period. That was right around the time. I got so much money from uh, the Red Bull shit. I won this uh, thing in D.C. I had like 30 racks in the bank, age 22. Like the fuck? Like 30 racks in the bank, age 22. Like what am I going to do with this money? Got a home studio. 
I did my best to market Peace World. I fucked up some of the money. Um, Happens. <laughs> it's awesome. Like, you got to fuck up money before you, even with your day job. Like, all right, I make 500 bucks a week. All right, I make 600 bucks a week. What can and can't I afford? Right. Same shit with business. Same shit with music. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out how much am I spending? How much money do I need even? So you got to fuck up your money a bunch before you figure money out. So anyway, I had like 30 racks in the bank. I'm 22. I never even had like a real job. I got this home studio and I had no idea what to do. I just froze. And all I did was like put my head in the sand and hit the grindstone. And I developed a sound. I developed my voice on a record. Like I can walk into a studio situation right now and knock anything out the park. I know how my voice works like that. I can get in anywhere I want, sonically and vocally. Right. So the last five years, is that's all it's been. Just literally binging, like binge working. Essentially in solitude. I did a lot of work in Texas. I probably worked with like a dozen artists in Texas. Work. Yeah, I work with a dozen artists up here. I work with bands, jazz, funk, soul, blues, rock. But I haven't been out here like, yo, check me out every week because I literally just became, I the whole gaze turned inside. And I think the real, like the one one thing I really remember was I went home there's this venue called Chaplains in Spring City. It holds like 120 people, and I packed that place out. And I was like 23 years old, and I was playing. And like sometime, like midway through a song, I looked around. I'm like, yo, I went to high school with all these people. Like these are like my peers. Why am I on stage being celebrated? And this is mid performance. And it took me out of this situation. It didn't feel right. It felt fucked up. And what I realized was I wasn't doing it on the biggest levels possible for fans. I was sort of in this small ecosystem of classic rap heads and older rappers telling me what I need to sound like. Older rap fans telling me what good hip hop is and what bullshit is. I wasn't free. And I did the last five years. I got there, bro. I made music in solitude and I'm good. Like whether you like it or not, I'm good. I love my music. And that's what the last five years have been. And honestly, I don't remember saying that in that interview but if i had to guess that's what i was feeling mm-hmm. i was probably 23 years old 24 years old like shit like because you were just broken down like you were breaking down how like yo because somebody because the dude had asked you he was like hey man what was it like going down to atlanta right and he was like yo we in the car man we just packed up and he was like all these he's like he was like in a, a four-door joint <clears throat> just driving from here going all the way down there you yeah know I mean? you're going to different places competing and I, I can tell like at that age that shit could burn you out for sure you're doing, doing so much so you know question so what brought you down to texas love now love and that feeling so mm-hmm. that sometime in 2014 i met a girl she was like a dope painter uh like it's just a fire artist mm-hmm. and it wasn't long after that interview and i was um i was feeling burnt out for sure and Philly will do it to you too. Philly's a tough city, man. Boy. Philly's a really tough city. So like seeing this girl, she was cool as hell. She had a, a, a studio, like a massive warehouse where she lived and painted. I was like, fuck it. Like I started taking trips and performing down there. Yeah. Just go see her. And I was like, yo, this is my out. Like Philly's people don't leave Philly all like that, you know? So I was like, this is a way to get out of this market, get some new energy. I just, I just had that, like, that weight of the Philly attitude and Philly mentality. I had that on me. So Dallas was a place where I knew that I could shake that weight off. And, um, this girl who had all this shit popping down there, she just had, it was an opportunity for me to get out and, you know, take a shot at love for sure. I have a lot of love for her still. But um, it really was just like I have to get out of this city. I got I got to try something new. I have to expand and expand. I fucking did, bro. <laughs> like, I swear to God, I expanded like a bitch down in Texas. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say like a bitch if I didn't live in Texas. Shout out to my bro Zach. What up, Chef Vic? I expanded so much there, man, because none of that fucking weight. I was nobody. I wasn't the Red Bull Bull. I wasn't the Temple Bull. I wasn't the White Bull that'll grind you up. I was nobody. So I got to be me in a space where there was no precedent, mm-hmm. no reputation, and I grew so much. It's fucking awesome. So we have these things as, as we grow, we go on these journeys, and some of these journeys are unexpected. You know, sometimes we win, and sometimes we lose on these shits, and we're like, how the f- did that happen? But it happens, mm-hmm. and we find ourselves having to pick ourselves up and push forward. Like, I kind of love the, um, the, what story is that? I love the, uh, the Odyssey by, by Homer, because we all go through it. You know, we have these moments, like, we're fighting, like, Homer, we one of the great, no, I'm sorry, Homer, um, Odysseus and, and Odyssey. Odysseus, you know, one of the heroes from the, you know, um, from the Trojan War, you know, and he wants to come home to his wife, you know, like, yes, I'm the champion, I'm, I'm, I'm on top. I'm going to head back home and 
get back right. to my wife. Right. But he finds himself encountering these obstacles to keep him from being home for like what over like was it seven years? I think it was. It was a nice, it was a maybe longer period of time than that. But like it was, he went through so much from being at the high point to being broken down. Right. Then going back home to to kind of to trying to reclaim all that he lost. And he became victorious. Right. But he had to lose a little to gain a lot. And he gained, I guess more than anything else, he gained perspective and appreciation. So I see that with you. And I hear that a lot on your newest record. And it's called, is it Dreamers? Dreamers, yeah. Dreamers. Now I want you to break down the concept concept of that record, right? And before we even do that, let's start off with breaking down the concept of the artwork. Then we get down to the record. Because sometimes the artwork kind of gives you like an idea about we should on. go the other way around. All right, cool. So let's go let's with Let's go the one. other way around because the record came first. Okay, record, then artwork. Yeah. Boom. Get down. Um, so get down. Jesus get Christ. Down. Mind, right? Boom. Get down. Get down. Get down. Get down. Get down. Um, who's that? Oh, hi, Mom. So uh, a lot of times, sometimes I'll come, I'll come home. I, I work every day um, in the studio. I take a day off for like family shit if I'm not near the computer, but I almost never don't work. Right. So one day I just felt uh, provoked to uh, make that beat. And the beat that you hear on the record is far from what I made that day. I made like the little boop, 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 boop in the bass and some drums on the first session. And um, that was just like how I felt that day. But then the Dreamers concept came out just uh, literally I vocalized before I, before I write. I just vocalize. So I don't go in with lyrics. I go in with tones and melodies and rhythms. So I just vocalized that Dreamers thing. I muted that track and forgot about it. But I sent the beat to a couple friends like, yo, this is fire. And I had like the first verse. Like, this is fire. Yo, this sounds like you, but it sounds contemporary. Like, this one goes. So I was like, all right. That met that met the feeling that uh, I haven't been putting out enough work um, for me to like kind of transition into the production seat and uh, start sharing again after so long and to like kind of climb that mountain of promoting and marketing material i was like i don't really even know how to how to approach that like yeah i can make a record and send it to the homies well yeah i can make a record put it on soundcloud get like a thousand plays i don't i don't know how to make a record actually work so that's something that every artist deals with like i have this fire but like i don't even have the platforms to make it appreciated so i was like fuck it i got this verse and this beat and um my friends were like yo that's fire finish it i haven't put anything out in a while so I went back, I recorded second verse, I started working on production, I threw up a Facebook post like, yo, send me, send me cover art. And I got like nine or ten submissions from my friends, um, just for fun. I send me cover art, this drone comes out tomorrow. Well, got a couple submissions and the song was getting better and better. Every, every day I worked on it, it was getting better. Um, but it wasn't done. Like the more you work on it, the further you get from a complete song. Like if you got a beat and you rap on it, it's done. But if you work on it again, now you got it. Whatever you add to that record needs to now work in the record. You have to make it work. So I wrote all these other parts and shit that didn't work. So that turned into like three, four day binge of just me every day, like five to eight hours in the studio after my day job. Knock the thing out. Meanwhile, cover art. Oh, I mean, there's shit. There's like concepts in that record. Like the alcoholic father, the single mother, the young kid with two jobs, getting it for himself on his own. Mm-hmm. Work ethic. You know, th- those concepts matter. Like I said, they're not super intentional because I just, I just shed, I freestyle, but they're all in the realm of aspirations, hard work, DIY, quit bitching. What do you want to be when you grow up? Who are you? What are you? Like, that's like the sort of tone of it. Just hard work, being, being a bad motherfucker and having dreams, but taking steps towards them. Like, will you go? Will you stay? Will you do what you say? Shouts out my dreamers. Like, put up or shut up sort of um and letting go of youth there's all this shit man this is freudian shit much like a dream the record is very jumping around from things that are important to me now to childhood memories to freudian impressions of an alcoholic dad to freudian impressions of a single mom so that that's really like it just it's fragmented but it's all focused on it's all focused on this pursuit of greatness and this pursuit of manifesting and being a bad motherfucker um so that's just that was the that's the feeling i was in mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the production helps because the production has those dreamy vocals in the back. Um, so I think the production stacked with these themes like dreamers and ambition. I think it all helps to 
sort of like imply a dream, whether or not the record is, you know, accurately about a dream or your dreams. You know, I don't like to fucking write songs like, you know, like, you know, uh, I don't like to write songs that are, I call it on the nose, right? Where here's your concept. Here's your concept. Here's your story and your material. I don't like to just say, it's like the difference between watching a movie and explaining what the movie was about, right? And I feel like a lot of writers, a lot of artists, a lot of rappers, their music sounds like them telling you what the song's about. You feel me? It's not experiential. It's not very personal and emotive. There's no mystery. They're literally telling you what their song's about rather than sharing emotion, thought, feeling. And you know what the song's about because this artist just told you some shit that you never would have thought of. You know what I mean? Like they just told you some shit you never would have thought of and you get to kind of make up what the song's about because they took you on a journey. I feel like I, I don't like to hit a hit the nail on the head. Like, I'm going to write a song about gentrification and why it's bad. Yo, the government is, you know, the government doesn't give a fuck. The institutions of America are. Mm. No, but I say some shit about gentrification and it'll be some subtle off the cuff shit. And you'll be like, oh, like that'll imply. You know what I mean? I might say like, I might say like white people don't come here. I didn't say this is about gentrification. Right. But I use gentrification in this thought. And if you have any idea or any experience with that topic, that's going to be like, <laughs> you know, so that's how I try to approach writing. I don't like to tell you what my record's about. I just emote and you tell me what my record's about. And then you lean into the music and you lean into the chorus and you lean into the themes and you have a record that sounds and feels cohesive. But you didn't, I didn't tell you what this is about. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, because I, I, when it comes to, to hip hop, my favorite records are the ones that force me to sit down to understand what's happening. Because I can put on a record on right now by, you know, a rapper and it can play. And I keep moving. I can walk around up and down the street all day. I know what's going on. I don't, have, I don't have to take time to figure out what's, what's happening. If I put on like an album, a song by Three Stacks from Love Below, the song um, right. Spread or whatever one's on that album, I got to say, what the fuck is he talking about? Right. And even though Spread is obviously a song about making love, like the lyrics aren't all focused. He's sharing different thoughts and feelings and different stories, yeah. and it's all fragmented. But the sum of all of it makes sense. With the theme spread, but he doesn't take you like we went out. We went out to dinner. We had a good time. Then we went dancing. Then we and now I fell in love with her. Yep. That's like telling you. That's like a movie review. That's not a movie. You feel me? Yep. So I've been getting away from that, Mm -hmm. just trying to have a focused emotion, a focused theme, but not tell you what this song's about in the song. And I appreciate that because again, I go back to out one more time. It's like I remember the song. She lives in my lap. I had to play that song mad times to understand what it was all about. And I think that's the thing about records that, is, you know, is dope when we can get back to... So um, the cool thing about, like, these records that I thoroughly enjoy is that we're in a time when, like you said, everything is on the nose. Sometimes it's too on the nose. Yeah. Like, popular rap on the radio, you know, had popped the pill, show my dick. Hey! It's like, all right, cool. You know, but... Because I'm from an era... I ain't from an era. I'm just the kind of person that I am. It's like, I, I need more. I need more. Like, there's this, there was this thing on PBS back in the day. It was like, feed your brain. Like, I need to have my brain fed by some, like, something that's, that's real. Something I, I, I can really think about. Something that would actually, like, benefit me down the line. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I used to like old Nas joints. You know what I'm saying? Or listen to, like, uh, when Jay-Z made Meet the Parents. It was a song. I had no idea where it was going to go until the ending. And I was like, wow, right. that's some ill shit. And, you know, I think that just shows, even on your behalf, just like an evolution of artistry. You know, how far you're pushing your pen, as the old head said. And, yeah. you know, we're talking about, like, dreamers and all that. So these things getting, getting being accomplished and putting in all this hard work. So for you, is there an end game that you're trying to reach? Or you're like, I'm just going to keep working and working and seeing wherever it goes is where it's going to go. Um. In, I mean, in my experience, the most successful and famous, powerful people that I ever met, there's so much circumstance involved, and they're so grateful and fortunate for what they have that I, you know, you can make your own luck by working hard, but you can't force success. Like, somebody might hear this podcast that you're friends with. Mm-hmm. Go listen to Dreamers. It sounds like some shit that his nephew's working on. His nephew happens to be friends with Diddy, mm-hmm. and I start working with him because your buddy heard this podcast, heard Dreamers, sent it to Diddy's. I can't, I can't work toward that. There's no way to achieve that 
circumstance. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's about staying busy, staying great, getting better, staying in love. And that increases my odds every day. My odds get better. The only guarantee is if I quit, whatever I achieve so far is the end. That's as high as I go, right? That's guaranteed. But if I wake up every day and live this life and create ways for me to continue to be creative, I might get my dream project when I'm 45. I might get my dream project tomorrow. You make your own luck through hard work. The only guarantee is if I quit, it's over, right? So my life is about staying in love with it and staying great. So that when my car gets pulled, I'm fire. Like, yo, wow. Like when I get my look, I'm the best I've ever been. And I'm going to be the best I've ever been for the rest of my life. So when my circumstance lines up with time, when God and destiny does its thing, I'm going to be ready. You know what I mean? Like I can't force that chance encounter with that person that pushes that button. That's not even a real goal. That shit happens randomly. But if I'm fire for the next 50 years, my, my odds are better and better and better every day. I just have a question for you, man. <laughs> and all this positive good you shit. Feel you feel that? You feel that though? Yeah, I feel it a lot, man. But here's a question I got for you, right? Just, just to make sure things. How do you, or how do I, how do we, this is a, this is a collective thing. How do we stay in love, bro? Definitely give yourself space and time, bro. If you're not feeling it. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel like painting today, don't paint. Like, if you don't feel like rapping today, don't rap. When you get exhausted, stopping is really good. Actually, my friend Selena Carrera, you might know her. With the, with the gap together, she told me when you're wound up, you have anxiety. Yeah. Stop. Because when you stop, everything around you moves and you can see what direction it's going. Like, if I'm moving forward and you're moving forward at the same rate next to me, mm-hmm. it looks like neither of us are moving. If I stop, I'll see you going. So she's like, when you're all pent up with anxiety, just stop. And you'll be able to see everything moving around you and act with intention. So when you're feeling exhausted, it's because you're you're just going too hard. Like, you know, forgive yourself. Take a week off. Take a month off and go live. Like, go go on Tinder. Go on a date. Go blow some money you can't afford to blow to do some shit you never did. And then you'll come back and you'll have some shit to write about. So staying in love is just like it's like a real relationship, your relationship with your work. How do I feel today? I would advise everybody to do a little something every day. Like, you know, all right, maybe write a little story. You don't feel like rapping? Write a little journey, journal entry about your day, something like that. But uh, yeah, if you just go hard as fuck all the time, you'll burn out. You'll hate rap. You'll hate music. And you'll be like, yeah, I gave it up, man. There's no money in it, man. Or you'll be like, man, I gave it up, man. I had my chance. You'll burn yourself out and you'll hate it. But if you can create a life where you had the opportunity to create mm-hmm. on your own terms and in your own, on your own time and in your own way, you'll never fall out of love with it. You'll rely on it. You know what I mean? It'll be a part of your life that you look forward to. But if I'm just like, you know, like I got a job back after I left college, I'm a full-time rapper for like two, three years. I got tired of like harassing people for money and trying to pack out the same venues. If I did that another year, I might never rap again. I was like, fuck it. I'll get a job. I don't need this bread. I love rap. I don't want to be shaking down some kid for feature money and you know, trying to drive up the price from the venue. Like I played this venue two months ago and I want another 200 this time. Like that shit is worse than a day job. So when I felt that way, I was like, all right, well, I don't need the money that bad. And this shit's not fun anymore. I'll go get a job. And that way the music can continue to be passionate. I can invest in it. I can, you know what I mean? Like when it feels like that, let it go. And that's how you stay in love. Really, man, that's how you stay in love. I'm very glad that uh, we made this happen. Because, I mean, I think it's important to meet different people and to share your stories and understand their experiences versus your own experiences. You know, it's all about the human condition. What you said, not only does does it apply to creating, it applies to other size of the game as well right you know i respect the hell out of that so do you have a project coming out after this i do i got a couple things so i made um a record with my buddy raj dumb high yeah the right bull dumb high Uh, i met him through reef back in like that red bull time when i was really like just starting to get busy and starting to become known Mm -hmm. raj like i saw him in some gallery spinning rehearsing with a band i popped in because that's like the wave i was on if there's rap i want to know who's doing it you know what i mean so i just popped in they were having like a rehearsal in an art space and he's like yo Stu!" like he knew me from all the shit and i had met reef before he embraced me with open arms like a brother band and he's just been that like that's his whole energy mm-hmm. if you know raj that's who he is so we never worked together and uh I bumped into him at Reef's release. Reef lost Carl's when he released The Majestic. Shout out to Reef, my homie. Shout out to Reef. Big bro. 
I uh, bumped into him at the Majestic release party. He was like, yo, send me some shit. So he sent me beats, and I just sent him back three songs like that week. And so we're going to drop them drums. They all go hard. So that's going to be some summer shit. I'm going to continue to write and produce. I don't have a label. Nobody makes my decisions, and I make my own music at the crib. So I'm going to continue to put out music just like Dreamers all summer. Um, shout out to Aaron Schrader. We never got to the cover. Cover of Dreamers is by this artist, Aaron Schrader. He lives in New York City. Um, he sent me that cover two years ago almost three years ago, for another record I have called Just a Dream. He made a comic, a full comic spread out of the Just a Dream song. Mm -hmm. And I never got around to packaging and re-releasing that record. A lot of life shit happened. I broke up with my ex. I was like floating around Texas. I moved home. Mm -hmm. And I never got around to the work I wanted to do. So I put up, yo, everybody send me a cover. And Aaron, this fucking dope artist from New York City, he hits my inbox like, yo, if you still have that just dream artwork, that'll work. I was like, oh, shit. So I went, I found the slide from this old song mm -hmm. that worked. I took a screenshot and that was the new Dreamers cover oh, from a record. From, that record was years old. So anyway, shout out to Aaron Schrader. But there's nothing stopping me from putting music out at any moment. So I'm going to continue to do my thing like, yo, you know what? It's Wednesday. Here's a banger all summer. Uh, me and Raj have a three-track 3P. Mm -hmm. And in the fall, when the weather gets cold, I'm releasing my second uh, full-length album. It Could Be So Good is the name of the record. And it's fucking bomb. It's done, but it's cold weather music. So I'm going to wait till the weather's right. It's a fucking banging project. So it's going to be a good year for Mike Stu. I'm excited for that. Uh He's excited. I'm also more excited the fact that not only should be releasing this project in fall in a 3P and it joints in the summertime, I'm just happy that you're just being productive, period. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you bringing me in here, man. I want to give a shout out to Voss. Uh, Voss posted your interview with him. Mm -hmm. That's how I found out about you. Oh, sure. Like, yo, this is like a good dude, man. You sound like a good dude. Thanks, <laughs> like, man. Yo, like, I felt it, like the interview was productive and like interesting. I was like, yo, I want to talk to Mike. So shout out to Voss, man. One of the hardest working, funniest fucking rappers, yo. yo. That bull is a trip. He's a good dude. He's a good dude, man. I know him since we were like kids. We were both like 19 in Philly trying to be somebody. Oh, shit. And we got on the same bill in like this garage. And ever since then, like our friendship was able to, you know, develop outside of the music. Like he's a funny ass dude. Like a thoughtful, smart, funny bull. <laughs> yo. I first time I saw him perform was in 2010. You know what I'm saying? At uh, Kung Fu Neckties and shit. Nice. Yeah, man. He's definitely a good dude, man. It's, and it's dope that we were able to connect like this. Because I've cause i been aware of you since like years. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I, I didn't crazy. have a platform like this back then to, yeah. like, to, to do anything. Because, dude, like you, you know, before we wrap up and all that, I moved to New, to New Orleans. Nice. I'm, I'm, I'm from Philly. Been all my life, but in 2013, I moved to New Orleans for what? Love. Yeah. As good a reason as any. It is. You know, and though it didn't, it didn't end on the note that I wanted, so I came back home, like, on some other shit, I had to, like, go through a building process to see what I wanted to do, see where I could be so I could fit in and, you know, this and that. And, you know, down the line, I found myself here. You know what I mean? Podcasting and just, Hell yeah. just getting back to doing what I like to do again, which is connecting with people. I can tell, man. I listened to a couple of your episodes this week. Um, like I heard the Voss John, but I went back and I was like, "Yo, man, this dude is just like, you just have a cool spirit about you, man." Thank you, bro. You're like genuinely interested in people and easy to talk to, man. This is your, this is definitely your platform, man. Thank you, bro. I, definitely doing the right thing. That's a blessing, man. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you for that. So, yeah, man. Um, before I start shedding tears out here, cuz ah. I'm, I'm gonna end uh, episode 58 with my uh, my great guest, Mike Stewart, um, aka Mike Stu. Um, music is dope. If you don't know who he is, go on YouTube and it's Mike M I C Stewart S T E W A R T. Music, make sure you subscribe to his channel if you haven't already and look him up, yo. Shout out all my dreamers! Get in. <laughs> You know what I mean? Talking about my main man, man. Yo, love you, bro. Love Thank you, too, man. bro. I really appreciate it. No doubt. Yo, like I said, check his music out. And again, listen, my man doesn't, he doesn't be rapping. My man be rapping. Cause he rap raps. He rap raps. You know what I'm saying? Son is ill. All right, y'all. Catch y'all next time for episode 59.
of the Weirdest New Black Show. I'm your host, Mike Pignon. Peace and love. Yeah.